Let's just uh, continue that attitude of prayer we've been in. Lord, in the busyness of life, in the fast-paced, frantic, to-do listness of life, you've brought us to this place. You've given us this day, a day to celebrate you. You've brought us to this hour to focus on you, to pray, to sing your praises, to read your word, and to rest. To just be here in your presence and to say, Lord, our worship is offered to you. However imperfect or powerful it might be, our lives are offered to you. We just open ourselves up to the movement of your spirit. We're grateful. We're thankful for you. We love you. And we are here to serve, to listen, to learn, to connect, to love each other, to love you. I pray specifically for anyone this morning who is here and is in difficult straits is in a place where this all seems almost shockingly numb. God, I pray that you will touch each person here who is really struggling and remind them of how great you are and how nothing is impossible for you. And I pray that you will touch each person here who is struggling with some kind of burden of frustration or anger, I pray that you will remind them that you can free them for faithful service. I pray that you will touch some person here who is truly in despair and that you will remind them that you are powerful and that you can handle it. And I pray today that you will Please receive our genuine worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you. It's good to know that uh, as we're gathered here in the community of faith, that God is active, God is real. I get the privilege of saying that to you this morning. Um, sometimes uh, I forget what a privilege that is. I get to stand up and proclaim to you that God is enough. That God is faithful. That no matter what failings I have or you have or anyone else has, God is able to do anything. And we are in the hands of God. We are in the hands of the living God, and the living God loves us so much. I hope that you sense that. I hope that whatever you're doing in your life, wherever you are in your life, I hope that no no matter what you faced this week, no matter what you are struggling with, that you know that you are in the hands of the living God. 
And the living God is in love with you. He is not distant. He's not far away. He's not disinterested. He is right here in your face saying, do you sense me? Do you sense my presence? His spirit, if it is not already in your heart because you've not invited Christ into your life, his spirit is waiting right at the door, knocking, saying, would you like me to come in? And if you invited Christ into your life years ago, his spirit is saying, I would be glad to enter that closet in the back room you've been hiding from me all these years. I'd be more than grateful to head into those nooks and crannies, those parts of the attic that you've been holding back. I get to say to you today that God loves you so much he wants to just be with you. He didn't just create you and say, I hope it goes well. I created these little things out here. Good luck. He, he's intimately involved. That is powerful. That is powerful good news. Because whether you're having the best week of your life or whether you are completely rocked right now, God is here, God is close to you, and God is able to handle your problems and your joys at the same time. Well, hey, I want to um, read to you a passage from the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. One of the earliest snapshots we have of the early church. And guess what? They have problems. They have issues. There's stuff going on. And it's kind of serious stuff too. Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for how it teaches us, encourages us, challenges us, grows us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know what kind of week it's been for you. Um, Maybe I could just ask you this. How's the good life? Has the good life been good this week? Remember what Pastor Kristen preached on last week was meditation. That stopping and simply saying, I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to be with God. I'm not going to ask anything. I'm not going to try to accomplish anything. I'm just going to recognize that God is here. I stopped numerous times this week, just looked at the trees with the snow, just looked out the window of the car when I was driving, turned the radio off, just look, just sat in my office chair, was working on something, I was in like, whoa, whoa, why don't I just sit back for a moment and spend five minutes with God? I had that privilege this week. I hope that you took that privilege this week. I hope that you continue to take that privilege all the time. That is such a great stopgap to the frantic lifestyles that we are so tempted to be sucked into. The good life, not the easy life, not the rich life, not the comfy life. The good life, the life connected to God. You know that's what we're preaching on. We um, had an intro uh, a couple weeks ago, and we, had, we talked about meditation this uh, last week. And today we're going to be talking about prayer. That's like saying, we're going to be talking about nuclear fission. I mean, we're going to be talking about the biggest concept. It's just, I mean, we're just going to talk about prayer today. There are volumes of books written on prayer. I, it's God is so interested in being connected to us and wants to connect with you. And prayer can happen in so many, so many amazing different ways. There's so many ways we can go with this, but I'm just, I'm going to try to simplify it. Richard Foster says in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, nothing draws us closer to the heart of God than prayer. You think about that. The heart of God. That the seat of love. The Bible says that God is love. Nothing draws us closer to the heart of God than prayer. Now I want to ask you an honest question. How close to God do you really want to be? And I really mean that. How close to God do you really want to be? Because my experience is that the, the first, you know, the Sunday school answer, I want to be close, you know, sign me up. But the life answer, the answer that each one of us struggles with is when we start to sense God's presence in our lives and we start to sense that the control is slipping out of our hands and we're starting to realize just how amazing and, and incredible God is, that we have sort of two primary reactions. One is, this is, the, this is what we've been seeking for our whole lives. And we're just, yes, we're desperate for it. We just want to plunge in. But the other reaction is from our, our, our flesh, the Bible will call it, from our, the, the, the part of us, the worldly part of us. It's the part that says, I want to get away as fast as I can from the God who is going to take over my life and I'm going to lose control. I just think about Adam and Eve. They walked with God in the Garden of Eden. They communed with God. 
They were innocent. They were without sin. They were naked. They were completely exposed. They were completely intimate with God. They just, just connecting with him. And when sin entered their lives, the first thing they did was when they heard God coming in the garden, they ran and hid. They covered their nakedness. They felt exposed. They felt scared. They wanted to get away from God instead of close to God. Because that, that, that sin, that control that we want to have, that, that nature which says, no, I do it. You ever heard little kids say that? Would you like daddy to? No, I do it. Wow, I have raised a monster. No, you haven't. You just have a kid. You have a normal child who is just like every other child on earth except for Jesus, whose heart is turned towards the self naturally and who must someday surrender to find the life, the good life that God offers to us. Richard Foster says, when we pray, God slowly and graciously reveals to us our evasive actions and sets us free from them. When we connect to God in prayer, he works on us. I mean, there are examples in the Bible where he just like pounds people, you know. And frankly, we can be pretty glad that he doesn't tend to do that these days so much. Mostly, he works on us incrementally. He keeps knocking on our door. He keeps saying, would you like to, come on, let me just give you a little push. I'm not going to make you. Would you like to? And after a while we go, oh God, I guess I'll. And then we get there and we say, oh, this is better. Why did I resist so much? Well, I resisted so much because I'm so tempted by my human nature to do so. A professor in college brought this idea to me and I was so encouraged by it. First order desires and second order desires. First order desires are the deep, deep desires that we have. We desire intimacy with God. We have a hole in our lives that only God can fill. That's what St. Augustine said. We're, we're desperate for God. We're desperate for love. We're desperate. That those are the, the deepest things. But the second order desires are like the surface desires. They're the temptations where we just, we know it's bad for us, but we just want to do it again. That brought that instant gratification. That brought that little bit of joy, that little bit of distraction, that little bit of escape from our crazy lives. And so we give into those second order desires, those surface desires. But, but deep down, we keep coming back to God and saying, I, I really don't want to be like that. I really want to be connected to you. And that's what prayer offers to us as we connect with God he works on those ways that we are evading him, that we're throwing on our invisibility cloaks and hoping he won't see us, that we're trying to say, God, yeah, I kind of want you near, but not too near. When we look at this passage in the book of Acts, 
we, serve, we see that this church has some problems, and it's people problems. It's problems with workers. There aren't enough people, maybe, to go around to serve all the folks who are out there. There's possibly resources like, like food problems, like do they have enough to go around? And if they don't, who's going to get those resources that they have? We look at the, the um, it's sort of logistics. How is it going to happen? And there's a race problem here, a very significant race problem, very early on in the, in the early church. The Hellenistic Jews, those are the sort of the Greek-speaking Jews, are complaining against the Hebraic Jews. Those are sort of the the Jews who are Jewish in in race. They're saying the Jews who are Jewish in race are are getting um, are are getting the resources, and the Greek Jews are being ignored. And they're they're, they're saying, what are we going to do about this? We've got a real problem. We've got a real issue. How are we going to address this? And the 12 apostles gathered together everybody. And I love the fact that, by the way, they call when they gather them together, they're called the disciples. They gathered together all the disciples, not the Christians, not the believers, but the disciples, the followers. That, that means all of us who are are, are, we call ourselves Christians, but we're disciples. We're followers of Jesus. We're people to, who are to be imitators of Christ. And they gather them together and they say, here's the deal. We have this need. We have this plan. Let's get these seven guys who, who are going to do this distribution of this work and they're going to spread it among themselves because, and here's the verse, we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. I, I want you to, to note that they are not saying that the work that is supposed to be done here is unimportant. They're not saying that uh, reaching out and helping widows who need help is an unimportant task. What they're saying is our task of prayer and the ministry of the word as, as apostles is so important, it even supersedes that. It says, essentially, everyone is needed. Everyone has gifts. These are the, the areas where everyone is, is, is get gifted. So we're going to find people who are really gifted at these areas. And, yet, and interestingly, though, the, the number one person they find is Stephen, who turns out to be pretty gifted at preaching and praying and being connected to God as well as serving so it's, it's complicated. It's not like everyone just gets in these little categories. But they say the, the, the importance of prayer is such that even these other good works should not keep us from it. Prayer is that which, that connection to God, which is so important that it's like the lifeblood of us spiritually. It's like what keeps you connected to the life source. And if, if we're not praying, then we're starving ourselves to death. It's true. We're just, we're just being disconnected from God himself. I, I want to remind you of some powerful examples of people from the Bible who prayed 
and for, for which it made a huge difference. Abraham negotiating with God about the fate of Sodom, saying, if there are 50 good people down there, will you save it? Yes, I'll save it. Well, how about 45? Yep, I'll save it. 40? Yes, I'll save it. How about 30? How about 20? He gets all the way down to 10. God, if there are just 10 good people down there, will you save that city from destruction? Yes, I will. The only good people down there who make it out are Lot and his two daughters and his wife who almost makes it but doesn't. Jacob wrestling with God. I won't let you go, he says, until you bless me. Now there's a prayer. There's a prayer to hold on to. I won't let you go until you bless me. Hannah, desperate for a child, barren, unable to bear children. Lord, please supply. And if you do give me a child, I will give him back to you. And from that comes Samuel, who becomes the first great prophet in the Old Testament. David's prayer of repentance. Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. That's a powerful prayer that had powerful results. David was forgiven and went on and continued as a great king. Solomon's prayer, not for riches or power or for even long life, but a prayer for wisdom. Wisdom to know what is right and wrong. Wisdom for how to govern. Jonah's prayer from the depths of the whale or the depths of the great fish covered in seaweed. Oh God, hear my prayer. Save me. And the Lord does. Job's prayer that after God says, were you there, Job, with all your great wisdom? Were you there when I created the foundations of the earth? And Job says, I'm putting my hand over my mouth. You alone, God, know what is right. You know the fullness of the story. Jesus' prayer for the unity of the church, that we might be one in following him. The bold prayer of Peter and John in Acts, after they've been brought before the Sanhedrin and questioned and even beaten, sent back. And this is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. One of my favorite prayers in the whole Bible. Not, God, save us. We're scared. Save us. No, God, make us bold. Make us bold to go do more of what they were threatening us because we were doing it before. These kind of prayers make a difference. They send people out into the world to do powerful things. They change things in this world. I think we are busy people who are tempted by sometimes good works, sometimes by entertainment, sometimes by our jobs, sometimes by our family, sometimes by so many other things. We're just tempted to kind of not be as connected to God. Martin Luther used to say he was so busy that he could not get by without spending three hours a day in prayer. Crazy talk. John Wesley said, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. And he prayed daily for two hours, as well as stopping to pray every time 
the bells told the hour and he was riding his horse and he would stop and he would pray. Adoniram Judson prayed seven times a day, dawn, noon, or sorry, nine, 12, three, six, nine, and midnight. He set aside that time and prayed, proclaiming that the work that he did as a missionary was utterly dependent on it. You know what? I don't know about you, but when I hear examples like that, it can totally depress me. Do you, do you feel like that's kind of crazy? And yeah, I just want you to, I want you to think about it. When you see Michael Phelps win gold medal after gold medal in the Olympics, are you depressed? Aren't you inspired? It may not be that, and probably won't be, that any of us in this room or any of us in this county or anywhere ever will swim as well as Michael Phelps, but friends, if, you, if that inspires you even to just get into the pool once and take a couple of laps, that's what these examples in Scripture and examples of great Christians are designed to do, not to make us feel bad, but to encourage us. See, because if we just start a little bit every day, a year from now, we'll just be radically down the road from where we are right now. It's the incremental stuff. It's not the, okay, well, I, you know, I'm going to get it together next week and start praying an hour a day. No, it's the five minutes right now. It's the, I'm just turning the radio off in the car and talking to God. I'm just parking the car in the parking lot and I'm not walking into work for five minutes. I'm just going to pray right now before I head in. It's just that, that making time to connect with God. A little bit at a time that, that changes our lives. I'm inspired by Olympic athletes. I do not plan on being an Olympic athlete. But it encourages me to know that God is able to do amazing things like that with them and maybe a little bit with me. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Are you wanting to be transformed? (laughs) Is there something about you here at the beginning of the new year that you're going... This year, I really want it to be different. The central avenue that God uses to transform us is you talking with him and you listening to him talk to you. Just taking that time. And awesomely, God changes our hearts. Our wills begin to conform to his will. We begin begin to, to say honestly, like Jesus said, Not my will be done, but yours, Lord, in this and every area of my life. I have a friend who's a pastor named Talbot Davis. He just put this on Facebook last night. I was like, really? How could this be? Perfect for my sermon. The irony is that many of us feel like prayer is a kind of punishment, when in reality it's a privilege. (laughs) That is ironic, isn't it? I mean, how many people, how many of us, honestly, you don't have to raise your hand, but do it in your heart. How many of us are like, 
I, I feel so guilty about prayer. It's a duty, and I know I'm supposed to do it, but I, I know I'm supposed to do it more. I know I'm supposed to start. It's, it's something God requires of me. It's almost a punishment, honestly. But friends, it, think about it like children relating to parents. When you have a little child, how easy is it for that child to just say to mom or dad, hey, can I have the peanut butter? Can you lift me up? Can you help me open the door? I'm cold. I'm hot. Uh. That's a prayer right there, friends. That is, that is a prayer. And, and I, I, I just, it's that, it's that easy. If you're new at this and you've never done this before and you're scared, it's that easy, friends. It's just, uh, God, I, I don't even know if you're real, but I help help. And if we've been doing this for a long time, sometimes we've forgotten what we're doing. We start into our prayers. We, we have phrases, statements that we make. Have you ever been praying for a little bit? And then you, you go, I have no idea what I just said. I, I just said a bunch of things that I've said often. And what did I just say? When we're praying, we're talking to the living God. That is so awesome. There, there is, you're not talking to the most important person in, in the world who's a world leader. If you were, wouldn't you be like paying attention? But we have the privilege of talking to the living God. And it's not hard. <laughs> it's, hi God, it's me again. I love you. I don't understand life. I get some things. I'm confused about others. I'm feeling like I really need your help right now. My friend really needs your help right now. My church really needs your help right now. My work really needs your help right now. My dreams seem far away right now. My hope is brimming over or nowhere to be found. It's just God. I'm this is me. And I want I want more of you despite the fact that I push it away sometimes. I want to be real. That's what prayer is. It's just being real. And it changes lives. I remember back when I was in college in the 1980s, we said, what's the craziest thing we could pray for? And at the time, it was the country of Albania. 
I don't know if you know what Albania was like in the 1980s, but it was this incredibly closed communist country. It was more closed than North Korea is now. It was crazy. Nobody got in, nobody got out. I remember reading a statistic that they estimated that there were something like seven to 10 known Christians in Albania at that time. That was what the outside world knew of Albania. And we, we were not righteous. I was a college student. I was not perfect and righteous. But we said, let's, let's pray boldly. What would be a crazy prayer? That God would open up Albania to the gospel. That people would come to know Jesus. Let's do it. We got on our knees and we prayed. Like fervently for like 15 minutes. And then we said, okay, we'll do it again sometime. And we did. And I would find I was walking along campus and I'd think about that. And I'd be like, all right, God, crazy prayer. Open up Albania. When uh, the whole Iron Curtain fell in the late 80s, early 90s. Albania opened up, opened up to the gospel. It was so shocking. God actually answered that prayer. We're not determinists. We're not what philosophers call fideists, people who believe that everything is set beforehand. It's one of the primary things, there's many things that separate us from other religions. This is one of the primary things that separates us from, from Islam. In Islam, there's the belief that everything is set beforehand. We as Christians do not believe that. We believe that God interacts with us. That when we pray to God, it makes a difference. It's why Jesus told parables like he did in Luke 18 of the persistent widow who goes to the unjust judge and says, please give me justice. And Jesus describes the unjust judge as a guy who could give a rip about God. He cares nothing for God. He doesn't care about this widow, but she's in his face every single day. And finally, he makes sure that she gets the justice that she deserves. Not because he cares. He's just sick of her. And Jesus says, if that guy would do that for her because of her persistence, what do you think God would do for you as a persistent asker? Knowing who God is, your loving parent who cares for you so much. Wow. It is a great thing to know that the world is not set perfectly in in order with everything predetermined. We know what the end will be. We know that God will work it out no matter what happens to end the way he wants it to in his victory and glory, in his total rule and reign. But in between, he gives us all sorts of choices. And he says, why don't you ask me about things? And if you ask I'll do it in my time, in my way. I'm still in charge, but why don't you talk to me about it? And you know what, friends? It happens. It happens in our everyday lives. It happens in big, exciting ways. 
It happens in small, mundane ways. I don't know if you heard this, but yesterday, after three and a half years of imprisonment, Pastor Saeed Abedini was released in Iran. How awesome is that? This guy who is a pastor who's been held unjustly has been released by the Iranians. God is good. And you know what? Your prayers help that happen. What a privilege it is to connect with God. Take the privilege. Just start. Just practice. It's like saying, I want to learn how to walk for hundreds of miles. Okay. Just go out the door. Start walking. After a while, you'll get better at it. After a while, the miles will rack up. After a while, you'll be hundreds of miles down the road. Just start. But start remembering that God is so in love with you and genuinely welcomes your prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you for your presence. It's palpable. It's real. Help us start. Help us continue. Help us press into places we've never been before. Help us pray boldly. Help us pray for crazy things. Help us pray for our enemies. Give us faith to even try. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen.